Hello fellow adventurers and welcome back to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I am an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. Today I'm going to talk about writing rules. And the reason why I want to talk about um, writing a rulebook is because I'm currently um, yeah, performing that task. I'm uh, writing or editing the rulebook for um, the newest game that I'm co-designing. And actually, I have never spent too much time and effort um, to write rules for, for the games that I'm working on. And to be honest, I think this has been a mistake. And I want to use today's episode to talk a little bit about um, why you should start writing rules early in the design process and um, yeah, maybe also why I didn't. So um, the questions that I want to, to tackle in today's episode is um, or are what kind of information belong into a rulebook and in which order should this information um, be written in the rulebook and um, how should I structure the rules um, all together and are there any any guidelines or principles um, that, that you can follow when you write the rules, some best practices or so. And um, yeah, in order to do so, I want to start talking a little bit about the, the purpose of a rulebook. I think you all know that, um, what the main purpose is, but there are others as well. And um, then I want to yeah think a little bit about why it makes sense to start early um, with writing the rules. And... Um, I also want to highlight a little bit of the, I think, the main core structure for a simple rulebook that um, that can work for each and every every game. And at the end, I think um, it makes sense to yeah, to talk about some some principles that everyone should follow when um, when approaching the task of writing rules. So let's start with the purpose of a rulebook. And to be honest, they I I see two main purposes um, for a rulebook. The first one is pretty obvious. I mean, the rules are there to, to teach new players how to play the game. But that's not the only reason. Um, I think there is another purpose, and that is um, that the rules also should um, act as a reference guide um, to experienced players. And it's not easy to achieve both of those purposes because... Um, the goal is to present the game in a way that it makes it easy to learn to new players while also making it easy to navigate through the rulebook for experienced players um, if they want to look up um, a very specific corner case of the rules. And because those two purposes can be very different, um, for example, the publisher of Fantasy Flight Games um, often prints two different sets of rules for their games. Um, for example, they have a, um, a quick start guide, um, or called they call it sometimes they call it overview or so, and then they have some um, some kind of reference book as a second um, printing. And um, the rules overview is often chronologic, um, chronological of. Yeah, of how the game is played from start to finish. And um, the rules refer reference on the other side um, is often ordered um, alphabetical. 
um, or contains a lot of, um, of, of subheadings. So to make it easy for, um, for the players to navigate through the, um, through the reference book to find the specific keyword or corner case or a face or whatever that they are looking for. But yeah, these are only the purposes for the player. But I think uh, writing rules also um, gives a lot of benefits to you as a designer. And um, I think there are three more reasons um, to uh, start early with writing your rules. And the first one is that it can really do a great job to move your design process forward um, because it it highlight when you write the rules it highlights where the game is not yet fully fleshed out um, because when you sit down and um, yeah write the rules um, you really identify um, which kind of yeah, rules are maybe not as clear as you thought or um, um, you are forced to um, to deal with with these situations that are maybe unclear at the moment instead of um, yeah, putting them to somewhere in the future. And that also goes hand in hand with the next reason. And that reason is that I often forget the rules of um, the games I'm working on. And yeah, that sounds stupid, I know. Um, but oftentimes I test a lot of different versions of the rules and if I then somehow decide or for whatever reason do not work on that specific game for a couple of weeks I forget the rules or at least the version of the rules um, so it can be really frustrating to have to start all over again since this has happened several times now to me, I really want to get better in um, yeah, writing the current rules down. But I totally understand that this comes with, um, with additional effort. And you might write something down that um, will not end up in the, in the final version of your game. And that's a lot of extra effort, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I... Still have to find the best middle ground for me to decide what kind of rule changes I want to write down, um, and so and so on. So I'm still, um, yeah, tweaking my process a little bit here and there. But um, I definitely have to um, to write down my rules a little bit earlier. And I don't think they need to be hundred um, percent comprehensive in the beginning um, when you start playtesting, but um, they should at least um, yeah, capture the, the, the main elements of the game. And um, yeah, it's totally fine for me to have them as a, as a list of bullet points, for example, um, for the things that are not as important. And the next reason why you need uh, the rules as a playtest, uh, as a game designer, is um, when, you, when you are designing um, the game as a team. Because the rulebook will help you to keep track of, um, yeah, also of the version that you are playing at the moment. Um, and um, for example, in the game that we are currently designing, we at some point decided that um, it would be helpful to um, be able to take a mulligan. And um, what uh, that means, you can um, um, draw another hand 
um, or maybe some cards, um, replace some cards of your hand in the beginning of the game when you um, dislike some of the cards. But we never really um, decided if we want to um, want the mulligan to represent a complete swap of the hand or um, a limited number of cards that can be um, can be redrawn. And so this rule never never found its way to to the rule book. Um, to be honest, in the end, I think the game does not need it, but um, yeah, it also it, it was always some kind of uh, unclear state between between um, us as game designers um, how we want to play that. As an example, and another reason why you probably need it is um, to do blind play tests. And there is an interesting or a good uh, quote from Mike Selinker, an awesome game designer who was already guest on this um, NerdLab podcast in episode 20. And the quote is, you are not going to come in the box. And that's absolutely true. So at some point in time, you will not be there to explain the rules and you need to test that. Um, and that's what's called blind playtesting when the um, players uh, learn that game from, from the rulebook. And in order to do so, you, of course, need the rulebook. With blind playtesting, you will be, um, it will be easier for you to get um, additional playtesters because you, need to, you do not need to be present, present when the game is played or you can find playtesters over the internet. Um, and you will probably get um, more honest feedback if you are not um, the one that explains the games and probably you will not get the feedback directly face to face but maybe um, you can you can get the feedback uh, in a written form or so and you can give the games to to players you maybe not know directly so not to your friends or family um, which all will resu- result in a in a more honest and um, additional and sometimes better feedback for for your game and these are the main reasons why I think it's uh, very helpful to have a, at least a, a very rough sketch of your um, rules early or in the mid phase of your design process. And um, yeah, that is um, what I'm not super good at and what I want to improve at um, as well. So um, in the next part of this episode, I want to take a bit of a look at a good structure for a rulebook so very basic high level structure of the rulebook which can be used in the early phase um, maybe as some kind of one or two pager um, that could already be um, sufficient for some of um, the blind playtesting that you want to do but that really depends on the kind of um, on the kind of game that you are designing okay and that brings us to the yeah the core structure of a rulebook and for most games, the main structure is pretty similar for most of the rulebooks that I have seen. And um, they always, or most often, start with some kind of intro or thematic overview. They yeah, tell a little bit about the, the background story or um, they describe in what situation the players are in the beginning. Um, and it really it, it is about setting the scene. Um, from a thematic point of view um, for the entire game. And um, I mean, of course, this is, if you do initial playtesting, this is some kind, some aspect that you 
do not have to spend too much time on but um, if you can narrow it down to two sentences or so um, I think it's helpful for the playtesters to understand what they are getting into. This chapter is typically pretty short. And the second one is um, most of the time the components that are part of the game. And also this is not too important for the playtesters. Um, but it um, yeah, it is important if you, for example, have a print and play version of your game because then the playtesters, the blind playtesters can check whether everything um, has been printed appropriate or if something is missing. And for me, it's also very important to use this chapter, the components chapter, to give all of the components uh, an appropriate and unique, consistent name that you then use um, in the entire rulebook. And that's one of also of the best practices that I will mention later. Use consistent names because if you um, somehow get lost during um, the reading the rule books while reading the rule books it can be very helpful to to get back, get back to the components chapter and see oh yes this this token um, looks like that so okay and I remember what what kind of token um, is meant here in this chapter so giving something a unique name is very important um, and mention it in the components section is helpful the third chapter is the chapter where you tell your players what the objective is what their objective is and um, yeah give a little bit of a game overview um, not so much from the um, from the thematic point of view but more from the um, technical or um, mechanical point of view um, and you should also make um, clear how the players are interacting with each other. So you should mention if it is a, um, a cooperative game or if it is a competitive game or um, some kind of uh, teams that need to be built. That is important in this, um, in this uh, section. And um, for a good example is here that um, for describing the goal is if the opponent's life total is reduced to zero, you win the game. Pretty easy, um, but you know what you need to do. If you have multiple goals, um, you should also, um, or ways of winning, you should also mention them here, of course, so that the players get a good understanding of what they need to do. The important thing is you do not really explain how they are going to do that. Probably your game has multiple ways of, uh, I don't know, dealing damage to your opponent and reducing their life total, but you do not um, explain the different ways here in this chapter. It's just to mention uh, or to bring to their mind what the end goal is. The next chapter is um, the setup chapter. And um, it describes how you have to um, get the game ready to start playing. And um, also here there should not be um, anything mentioned about how to use the components, what they are meant for. Um, it's more like where do the physical components need to go so that you um, have a common display <laughs> on the table that you can then use to describe what um, what the different components are used for otherwise if you yeah leave the setup to to the players it can be a, 
much more difficult to um, later on explain what the components are used for because uh, they are yeah not on the left side of um, that deck or these components are not where they are meant to be so it your description will not be as precise as it could be and to make sure that um, the layout is um, exactly the same for all the players it's often very helpful to use some kind of diagram in this chapter it does not need to be complex one it's, it can be a simple uh, powerpoint slide or so um, and um, yeah just make sure that um, all the cards and tokens and components are ordered in the right way and then you come to the yeah to the core of your rulebook um, to the gameplay and game structure chapter and um, this section really tells you how the game is um, yeah, broken up in rounds, turns, phases, um, whatsoever. And then summarizes what players can do in each of those stages. And this section really should explain the flow of the game from start to completion. Oftentimes it's some kind of gameplay loop that you go over um, and over again and um, you only have to explain that once of course and once that's done um, you can go into the specifics so you explain the gameplay loop first for example um, each player uh, each turn is um, divided into uh, I don't know a setup phase uh, an activate ability phase an attack phase and a discard phase or so then you first describe that um, overview and then you go into the specifics um, where you describe each phase in particular. Um, and this is then really where you explain what happens during each of that turns or actions or rounds. Um, and you should really use then um, subject headers uh, or section dividers or so um, to make it easy for players to find that um, that chapter as a reference when they want to look something up and um, yeah there's of course this chapter can be completely different for your games um, because it is um, the nitty-gritty of your game it really <laughs> describes what your game does and how it um, how it works and um, then as a um, as probably one of the last chapters you have um, the game end conditions or how to determine the winner chapter and um, it really describes how the game ends. So, for example, um, the game ends when one player has 50 victory points and then each remaining player of that turn uh, can finish um, their turn and um, afterwards um, the victory points are, I don't know, calculated like this. Um, and um, this is all part of that last chapter um, you describe when the game is over um, how the winning player is determined um, how you calculate victory points and um, yeah who's the winner um, in the end and depending on your game you might also need some additional sections and i mentioned them before for example that could be a glossary of a uh, icons that you use or keywords that you use um, everything that needs to go into some kind of rules reference that um, you want to 
um, players easily to find. For example, also something like frequently asked questions could be could be at the end of your of your rules. Yeah, that's pretty much the super simple high level structure of most of the um, rules. And before I finish this episode today, I also want to share with you some principles, guidelines, best practices of writing rules that I want to yeah want to follow when I write my rules. Um, the first one is that you should um, state the general rule first. And I already mentioned that. Uh, give an overview of the flow first and then go into the specifics. For example, if um, the turn always looks like uh, action A, action B, action C, describe that first. Even if there is a, some kind of exception that allows a player to do C before B or so, always describe the um, the flow first, then um, how it oft, most often occurs, and then the very specific exceptions. The second uh, guideline is one that I already mentioned. It is use consistent language. And um, yeah. Language is super, super important. You need to be very careful about it um, in a rulebook. Your word choice, um, your grammatic correctness, all of that is very important. Um, and um, you need to be consistent. Um, otherwise, people will lose confidence um, that, yeah, that you know what you're talking about. Uh, you need to write clearly and correctly. Um, and um, yeah, That's something that's pretty difficult for uh, for someone who is not a, a native speaker like me. So it's pretty difficult for me to um, to always be sure that a reader um, that is probably better in English than I am um, understands what I wanted to write. So um, that also brings us to the next um, next uh, best practice, and that is uh, proofreading. You need uh, you need proofreaders for for your rules. And they they should be um, yeah native speakers of the language in the best case. Um, but yeah, you need um, the terminology to be consistent. That and that's what I already um, already mentioned. Um, if you because if you use two different terms for the same thing um, or the same term uh, term for two different things, um, this will lead to confusion for the players. You cannot do that. That's probably the most important thing in in a rulebook. Um, and um, what else you can do um, to um, to make sure that some words are used as terminology is you can um, use uh, capitalization or you can um, um, write them in bold or italics um, as a highlighting um, for um, yeah, for recurring game phrases. I like that. Um, I know that some players uh, don't like it that much, um, so you should should not use it all over the place. Um, but I really like that um, that kind of um, method to yeah to highlight what kind of um, yeah keywords are really relevant phrases for your game. Okay, the next guideline is that you should use cross referencing. But what is cross-referencing actually? It um, means that you point the readers into the direction of another section, 
when you talk about a, a constraint, for example. Um, let's um, create an example. Let's say you are allowed to take three different actions per turn. And um, then later on in the you describe that uh, that constraint in the beginning of the chapter and during the chapter you um, you write that um, you can use a jumping action or a movement action or um, use an item action. Um, then you should cross reference at that when you when you explain that um, that action you should cross reference that this will count against that constraint of three actions. That's it. Now, a simple example, but um, it will um, help the players to um, yeah to the the connection between those two rules and um, avoid that they think it is a free action or um, it costs the entire turn or so. I don't know what they could um, interpret it like, but um, it will really help you or help the players to learn the game um, how you assumed um, to play it. You have to think about the situation when a player looks up a certain um, a certain action, for example, um, because in that case the player will not read your rules from front um, to the end. Uh, they will read in the middle. They will just read that specific uh, paragraph of that action. And if you use cross-referencing, um, you can um, highlight that constraint again so that they will not forget it. Okay, the next tip is that you should use um, imperatives over um, declaratives. And that means you should not describe the action, but tell the players what to do instead. Um, that will help the players to understand the rules and make it more concise and easier for them to take action. So, for example, you should not write um, the dealer will deal seven cards to each player. Instead, you should tell the player exactly what to do. Um, and in that case, it would mean deal seven cards to each player. It's just a simple um, way of phrasing the sentence um, by making it an imperative. It's just a, a call to action. It's easier for the player to do it. And it's also often um, requires less words to um, to write it down. The next tip is an easy one. You should use a lot of uh, images, diagrams, graphics, and um, you should also um, label all of the elements in your diagram. Because sometimes I have seen um, pictures or diagrams that were completely clear for the game designer, but I had no clue, really no clue, what they meant with the different um, icons, for example. So you really have to label them. Um, that's very important. And you should also have some kind of supporting um, text that um, references the uh, and explains the diagram. The next tip is you should be inclusive um, in all ways. Um, we know that it's a diverse. We are a diverse community, and um, it's really. Um, difficult for me as a as a non-native speaker again um, to not use um, he all the time um, but it always sounds strange for me to use he or or she in one sentence or um, they also doesn't sound quite good for me so it's uh, I'm not a native speaker so I'm always a little bit confused what the um, 100% accurate way of, uh, of, of saying it 
is. Um, so you, sh you should really um, try um, to write from the you point of view, so from the second person, if possible. Um, and when you refer to other players, um, I, want, I try to use they. Um, and I hope, <laughs> I hope that this is 100% acceptable, but to be honest, I'm not 100% sure. Um, and um, yeah, that's, um, that's how I do it. And um, also you should, of course, make uh, your best effort to, to use um, male, female, uh, gender neutral um, characters as examples. And uh, yeah, be inclusive. The next tip is that you should try to write as simple as possible and don't use words that are uh, complex and uh, you should not try to be smarter than your reader. And um, yeah, for me that's easy because as mentioned, English is not my native language and um, I do not uh, know most of that fancy word that I could use. Um, so it might be easy to read my rules for, uh, for a native speaker. Um, wow, that's uh, actually the first time that um, this is an advantage for me. Uh, yeah, but um, also if you are uh, capable of using 150,000 different words, um, try to... Um, to use the most simple words that you can imagine to describe what you want to do. And um, yeah, the next tip is try to add flavor um, because um, it is easier for the reader to remember that. So if your um, the mechanic that you describe goes hand in hand with the flavor, it's so much easier to, do, to, um, to, um, to understand it. And to remember it, even if you um, didn't uh, play the game for quite a while. I got that advice from um, Paul Krogan, who is, um, yeah, I would say the writing rules superhero of, um, of the industry. And um, he was on the podcast um, for an interview um, on episode uh, 31, where we discussed a theme versus setting in board games. And yeah, so describing the theme or the setting can really go hand in hand with your mechanics and can help the players to understand. But you should not overdo it um, because, uh, yeah, um, the main goal still is to um, be quick while reading through the rules. So you should not uh, yeah, build too much overhead. And yeah, then... The last advice really is that um, your rules are a living document. So um, when you play test it, um, especially if you blind play test it, have a look on how the players um, interpret your rules, uh, what they um, maybe have problems with understanding or what they interpret in a different way and adjust it in for the next play tests. So that is pretty much everything I wanted to, um, to talk about today. Um, now I have to go write my own rules um, and see how valuable um, everything that I um, put together here for this episode um, will help me to do so. I hope you um, you enjoyed the episode and also learned a little bit. And um, yeah, until next week, keep writing and nerd like a boss. Goodbye. Goodbye.